Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, March the 7th, 2022. It is currently 4 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot to do. Uh, We have a lot to try to accomplish in this episode, and I'm going to do everything in my power that I can complete it in one episode, that this doesn't need to turn into part two, part three, part four, part five. So I don't have time to do any, I I have no time to talk about anything else. Welcome, everyone. I would say this, if you have a notebook, and something to write with, this would be an episode to pull that out. Now, now technically, I, I think you should always have a notebook open whenever you're listening to one of my podcast episodes, but you'll definitely want to write uh, as much down as possible. And of course, if you cannot write down anything right now while you're listening live, if you're listening to us live, or if you're listening to this later on on demand, but you're busy, at some point, you'll want to go back and listen to this again and take detailed notes, because we're going to be talking about something that I think is of the utmost importance, and here is the reason why. If you look, at least here in the United States of America, I cannot speak for other countries, but at least here in the United States of America, the average Christian has so much Bible teaching. They have Bibles, they have Bible reference tools, they have Bible teaching, they have devotionals, they have Christian podcasts, they have millions and millions and millions of things available to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've got commentaries, they've got systematic theologies, they've got Bible study guides, they've got all the writings of the early church, they've got uh, confessions of faith, that's what I'm trying to say. They have statements of faith, confessions of faith, creeds, catechisms. You just go on and on and on and on and on and on. They have so much available. There are small groups, Bible study groups. It is all around them. It is everywhere. The the average Christian in America owns two, three, four, five, probably physical Bibles, not even counting how many Bible apps they may have on their mobile device. The Bible is everywhere. It is being preached. It is being taught. Now, you could question some of the quality of the teaching. You could uh, challenge some of the doctrinal correction, uh, the, the how correct some of the doctrine that is being taught, how correct it is, how accurate it is. There, there's definitely room for criticism, right? So by no means am I just saying everything is perfect and everything is wonderful. Yes, there's false teaching. Yes, there's heresy. Yes, there's shallow teaching. Yes, in many cases, there there's not in-depth teaching. But there is so much available to the average Christian that any for any deficit, you should be able to make up for the deficit by the sheer quantity of what is available to the average Christian. But something interesting is, is right before our very eyes, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but I, I've, I've been mentioning this recently, and I'm going to really stress this again. Even though we have all of that available, we have more available than maybe at any time in church history. If you look at the state of American Christianity, if you look at the spiritual state of the average Christian, things are not getting better. They're getting worse. There seems to be more spiritual apathy, more spiritual complacency, 
more spiritual just lack of growth. There, there's, there's a stagnation. There, there's worldliness. There's ungodliness. Christians are divided. Christians are distracted. Christians have been politically hijacked. It's like with so much teaching available, with so, so much, uh, you know, doctrine, theology, Bible teaching, all of this is available to everyone. Even though it's available to everyone, Here's the frustrating part. Things don't seem to be getting better. It just seems that in spite of everything available, it's not making much of a difference in the lives of average Christians. And that bothers me and it should bother you and it should bother everyone. It really should. It's like, why? Because you could argue, well, you know, because sometimes it's tried to argue, well, the reason everything is such a mess because, well, there's just no, you can't find a good church or you can't find good teaching. People will say that. But the reality is there is so much out there. There really is very, that, that excuse really doesn't hold any water. It may explain why you have a difficult time finding a decent church where you live, but that does in no way explain why you're not taking advantage of all of the content that is available to you. And that content is actually making a difference in your life. Your mind is being renewed. You're being transformed. You're being changed. You're growing spiritually. Where, where is that? Why is that lacking? I think this is a, a, a very important situation. And I, and I could spend a lot more time just trying to articulate it, but I hope you at least, maybe you don't completely agree, but I, I just think you're going to have a hard time at least arguing with me, at least in principle agree. There's so much available. I mean, I'm just, I'm just sitting here, like I'm, I'm in a church in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I mean, I'm just looking right here at the table that I'm sitting at, right here at the table that I'm sitting at. I've got, I don't even know how many commentaries. I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm moving everything around here. You see, I've got a Bible handbook here, the ultimate Bible guide. I've got that. I've got a commentary here on Romans. I got a commentary set here on Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I have here, uh, first Timothy, a commentary, first Timothy. I have a devotional commentary on the entire Bible right here. Let's see what else I have here. I have the Genesis record. Uh, by Henry M. Morris. I've got a commentary here on the Minor Prophets, one volume set. I've got here um, a book, Putting Jesus in His Right Place, The Case for the Deity of Christ. I can just go on and on, just on this table. Let's see, what is that? Uh, I think that's a commentary on Matthew. Let's see what here. I've got uh, the uh, World's uh, Bible Handbook. I got Bible dictionaries. I've got Bible study guides all over the place. I've got the creeds here, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Uh, I say I think I've got uh, I've got Luther's Catechism right here. I've got the Heidelberg Catechism, Westminster uh, Catechism, and Westminster Confession of Faith. I mean, London Baptist Confession of Faith. I- I've got. I've, I mean, this is just right here in a little church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, right? A little church here in the middle of nowhere, and we have a church library right here behind me. If I go through the door behind me, and in that library. There's, I mean, there's dictionaries. There's, uh, we've got all of Calvin's commentaries. I could just go on and 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 on. I mean, this is just one little church in the middle of nowhere. Right? And that's just at the table that I'm currently sitting at. I mean, with no matter how bad things may be, you've got so much available to you to make up for it. So instead of making excuses, 
I think it may be a, a time for every Christian to go look in the mirror and say, okay, I can't make an excuse about this or that. I need to look about why am I not growing spiritually? Why am I spiritually apathetic? Why am, am I not passionate about the things of God? Why am I not being transformed? Why am I not growing? And I don't have every answer for that problem, but I, I think I, I think we need to address the problem from, from the perspective I'm putting forth. I, I, everyone keeps arguing, well, there's so many bad churches and the preaching is so horrible. Like it's everyone else's fault. It's, it's always everyone else's fault. Well, no, um, it's 2022. You got to take some responsibility. We have to take responsibility. And I was thinking of this. Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, where we read these words. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26. Now, I apologize if my uh, voice is a little rough today. It is Monday. So usually on Monday, my voice is a little weak after all of the teaching on Sunday, but we will make it through it, right? Ephesians chapter five, verse 26. I'm going to go back to 22 for context. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We are sanctified and we are cleansed by the word of God. It's the word of God that sets us apart from the world, from all of that to to be used by God. It is the word of God that cleanses us, that moves us to a, a, a greater practice of godliness, a greater practice of, of, of the spiritual things that we are called to do and be. But it's through the word of God. It washes us. It cleanses us. It sanctifies us. It sets us apart. It is the word of God that, that, that transforms our mind. It is the word of God that keeps us from sin. So you can almost 1,000% always say when there's major spiritual problems in your life or my life, where there is ungodliness, worldliness, selfishness, all of the negative things in our life, you can, you look to me, it's, it's just, it's biblical. The issue has to do, has to do with us and God's word. The issue is, is something is wrong with us and the word of God, because the word of God cleanses us. So the problem is there. The problem is that, well, the churches aren't any good. There's no good preaching. You can blame everyone else or you can go, what, what, what's the problem with us and the word of God? And let me make it very clear. This, I want to make sure you get this down. Owning a Bible doesn't give you the washing that comes from the word. Just owning it. It's basically like you can own a Bible. It's like walking, uh, walking up to a sink, right? Your hands are filthy. You turn on the water and you look at it. You may say, that's amazing water. That's the greatest water ever. You may even argue that water is divine. It comes directly from God. You can say anything you want about that water, but that water is of no real value until you put your hands under it and you wash them. You can own all the Bibles in the world. You may even read them. You may even go to Bible study. You may even listen to sermons. 
But there's got to be some. There's got to be another step that gets you, in in a sense, washed and cleansed by it. And I think that step is absolutely missing in the lives of many Christians and the lives of. I would say many to most churches. And that's why we can have a church on every corner, Bibles in every home, Christian radio on, you know, every, every car radio in America. You can have Christian podcasts on every phone. You can have everything. And yet there seems to be a lack of godliness, holiness, and passion for God because it requires more than just listening to it. It requires more than just being around it. It requires you, in a sense, to put your hands in the water and wash. And that washing occurs when we engage in meaningful Bible study ourselves. And one of the key elements, one of the key parts of Bible study to really make it matter, because a lot of people go to Bible study groups or small groups and still there seems to be very little true powerful change other than a lot of activity, you know, a lot of activity going here, going here, you know, having food, maybe making some good friends, but any true spiritual value, a lot of it is lacking because when, whenever you're doing Bible study, I cannot stress this enough. This is so important. You have to be involved in Bible application If there is no application of what you are learning, what you're listening to, and what you are studying, it's like standing there looking at the water and praising the water, talking about how good the water is, but it will do you no good. You can listen to all the sermons in the world. You can listen to all the Bible study. You can even do your own Bible study. But if you're not engaged in application, you're not putting your hands under the water. You're not washing. So the Bible study method that is designed to combat this problem is called the devotional method of Bible study. And the devotional method of Bible study is all about one thing, application. Application. It's all about application. Because if you are not applying the scriptures, listen to me, if you're, if you're not applying the scriptures, you are aborting the scriptures. Think of it this way. Observation plus interpretation without application equals abortion because you are, in a sense, aborting the text from conceiving and giving birth to any meaningful change in one's life. You're gaining knowledge. You're gaining information. And that knowledge and information is wonderful. But if it is not applied, then all you have is knowledge. You don't have any actual washing, cleansing, sanctifying occurring. So It takes more than just being around it. It's got to be applied. Observation and interpretation absolutely requires application. And if you do not engage, and application doesn't just happen. uh, I just got to get this out of the way. Some people think application is just some like mystical thing, right? I study the Bible 
And then the Holy Spirit will just apply it. Like, it's just some, like, I just kind of wait for, oh, I got a feeling here. Oh, I got a feeling. Okay, that's the Holy. It's not some mystical, magical, trying to figure out a feeling. Application is a method of Bible study where you engage in this method of Bible study, utilizing certain steps so that you now try to move beyond observation and interpretation to actual application. There are 12 basic methods of Bible study. You typically learn the devotional method first because every other method will require application at the end of those methods. It doesn't matter if it's the chapter method, chapter summary method, the chapter analysis method, the word study method, the topical method, the thematic method. I can go through all the different methods. Each one of those methods will end with application. And what do you use for application? You go back to the devotional method. So the devotional method can be used as a method all its own, but it's also the last step in every other kind of Bible study method. In fact, application should be used after you listen to a sermon, after you listen to a Christian podcast, after you listen to, it doesn't matter what, if any, if you listen to anything, if you're a part of any kind of Bible study, if you don't apply it, it doesn't do anything. You can sit in church and go, oh, that's a good sermon. That's a good sermon. You can even write down great notes. If you don't get home and stop and go, okay, what was the sermon today? What was the text? All right, let me run this through a process of application and see what I can do to put something into practice based on what I've learned. If you don't do that, I'm telling you, You've aborted that sermon from doing anything in your life because most likely within 24, 48, 72 hours, you're not even going to remember the sermon. You've already moved on. So great. You learn something. You may be, you may remember some of the principles you learned, but if you don't actually do any application, the sermon, it's always this, the sermon, once the sermon is over, your work begins. The pastor prepares, the pastor preaches. Now it's your job to take what was preached and work application out from it. All right. Now, even if the pastor gives you points of application, you've still got to work those points out yourself. So we're going to look at the devotional method of Bible study. I know that was that wasn't the exact way I intended to begin, but it's just... I just, I, I keep bringing this theme up in some of the podcast episodes lately. It's like, look, look at it. Look at all of the things that are available to everyone. I'm just, I'm always overwhelmed of how many sermons are available, how much Bible teaching is available. And, and I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to, I can't even listen to all of it. So we've got to stop the nonsense that, well, I just can't find any good Bible teaching. It, there, look, there's good Bible teaching out there. You may not agree with everything. But there's, again, the sheer quantity should be able to make up for the lack of quality that you may feel is lacking in much of it, all right? So the devotional method of Bible study. Let's give a, a basic definition of this. Are you ready? The devotional method of Bible study involves taking a passage of the Bible, large or small, and meditating on it until you have determined a way to apply its truth to your own life. So the devotional method of Bible study is where you take a passage of scripture, whether large or small, and you spend time meditating on it, thinking about it, 
thinking about it until you find a way to apply the truth in that passage to your own life. You're not applying it to your husband, wife, child, or church, or anybody in your church. It's to you. And you apply it in a way that is, this is very important, personal, practical, possible, and provable. So let me give you the definition again. The devotional method of Bible study involves taking a passage of scripture, whether large or small, and thinking about it, thinking about it, meditating on it until you figure out a way and how to apply that scripture, that truth found in that scripture to your life. And you do so in a way that is personal. So the application has to be personal, has to be practical, has to be possible, and has to be provable. The goal is for you to take seriously the word of God and not just be a hearer, but be a doer of what it says. Now, we're never going to be perfect at doing what it says. But the goal is, is to whenever you come to a a passage of scripture, you think about it and think about it. Yeah, and a lot of times we think about it to try to understand it, to try to interpret it. Wonderful. But after you understand and interpret the truth, now what do I do with that truth? So you think about it and think about it until you figure out a way to apply it to your own life in a way that is personal, practical, possible, and provable so that you move from being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word, right? Very important, okay? And I, and I let me just, I've almost kind of already tried to get this point across, but let me just take a second again to stress this. Stress this. Application is absolutely necessary for your spiritual life. Application is absolutely necessary for your life. And there's a lot of different points I could give here, but I, I'm just going to throw a couple of a couple of things out here about why it is so important, why it's so necessary in your life. I've already given you one, but we'll 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 just kind of we'll kind of organize it here so that you can have them written down one more time. All right? This is very important. Application is necessary because studying the Word of God can be dangerous if you merely study it without applying it. If you simply think of it, if you simply study to understand, if you simply study to gain knowledge, but the study doesn't lead to application, it becomes literally dangerous. And there's plenty of people who study God's word. They know it. They can argue doctrine. They can argue Greek. They can argue Hebrew. They know it. But they are, in many cases, condescending, arrogant jerks, judgmental, unloving, uncaring, no compassion. And there's like a million spiritual issues with them. And you're like, well, wait a minute. With all of that spiritual knowledge, you would think that they would be more spiritual and their dealings with other people, the way they treat other people, love, and all of these other very important attributes. Well, it, it, listen, if they're not applying all of that knowledge, it just puffs them up and makes them arrogant. So it can become dangerous. This is how one book describes this. Bible study without application can be dangerous because it puffs up. The Apostle Paul stated, knowledge 
puffs up, but love builds up. And they refer to 1 Corinthians 8.1. They say the Greek word translated puffs up in some translations contains the idea of being inflated with pride that that in turn leads to arrogance. All right? Studying the Bible can be dangerous if you're not applying it. You'll just become, you'll just, oh, you're just like a, think of yourself as a balloon. You're just going to inflate and inflate and inflate. And you know what you're inflated with? Just hot air. All of that knowledge becomes nothing more than hot air inflating a balloon. And you're all puffed up and you all think you're smart. You all think you're wonderful and great. But in reality, it, there's no, there's nothing there. It's, it's knowledge without substance. All right. And, and this, think of it this way. So Bible study without application is dangerous because it can make you proud. It can make you arrogant. Think of this, um, Bible study requires action. Bible study actually requires action. What am, According to a book here, what a man knows should find expression. What a man knows should find expression in what he does. What a man knows should find expression in what he does. Let me say that again. What a man knows should find expression in what he does. James one twenty James one twenty two. Do not merely listen to the word of God, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's kind of a paraphrase there, but you get the idea. Right. In other words, it requires action. The the it the studying the Bible can be dangerous without application because the Bible requires action. Um, th- there's more, I, there's more I could say here, but that's, that's okay. I, I will say this. I'll, I'll give one, I'll, I'll give one more here. So let's do this. Bible study without application is dangerous because it can lead to pride. Bible study requires action. Bible study requires action. Don't just be a, a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. The Bible calls you into action. I, I cannot I cannot stress that enough. Let me read that that statement again. What a man knows should find expression in what he does. Another one, and I'm just I'm just para, I'm just kind of throwing out some different ideas here. Another reason Bible study is so our application is so essential to your Bible study, and I've already alluded to this once, but let me state it again. Bible study without application equals abortion. You're just aborting the word of God from producing and giving birth, conceiving change in your life. Bible study is essential. It's dangerous without a, or application. Bible study is essential, essential as well, but application is essential because Bible study without application is dangerous. It will just make you arrogant. Application is essential because Bible study requires action. Application is essential because Bible study without application aborts the text from conceiving and giving birth to change in your life. Now, this is very important. Although reason, I think sometimes there is so little 
application done. I think in many cases, there's actually very little actual Bible study done. There, some people may listen to sermons, they may listen to Bible study, but to actually engage in study of the text themselves, I think that's, I feel like in some ways that's a, a, something from you know the ancient past when Christians used to sit around and actually study the Bible for themselves. I think a lot of people don't really engage in any meaningful Bible study, and all of the statistics we see seems to indicate this. There is no real meaningful systematic study of God's word by God's people, meaning where all the problems we see in the church, it's because of that. And they can make, you can point to all of the other excuses in the world. If you own a Bible and you own just one or two reference tools, it's on you. It's on you. You, you have a responsibility. But one of the reasons application, I, th- I think, is avoided and ignored is because this is very important. It's hard work. Application isn't easy. Application is hard work because it requires serious thinking. Sometimes it takes a long period of meditation, consecrated, prayerful thinking. You got to really think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Sometimes it takes that long period of time before we see a way to apply a truth of scripture that we have studied. Sometimes it may mean looking beneath a temporary rule to see a timeless principle in the text. Sometimes it means looking beyond a local custom to see a universal insight. All of this takes time and concentration that we may be hesitant and reluctant to give. Simply put, it requires work. It requires time. It requires thinking and time, making it hard work. According to one book, application is difficult because Satan fights it viciously. They think that this, that spiritual or application is a part of spiritual warfare, that we need to apply God's word. That's very essential in fighting the spiritual war and growing as a Christian. And so Satan will fight it. This is how they describe it. The devil's strongest attacks often come in your quiet time when you're trying to apply what you have studied. Satan knows that as long as you're content with merely having head knowledge of the word, you're not much of a threat to his plan. But as soon as you get serious about making some change in your life, he will fight you with fight you tooth and nail. He hates doers of the word. He will let you study the Bible all you desire as long as you don't ask yourself, now what am I going to do with what I've learned? They say that it's a part of spiritual warfare. You, you can whether you can you can agree or disagree with that. I know this. Whether I, I definitely can at least understand it from this perspective. It would make perfect sense to me and theoretically that Satan wouldn't care how much you know, but he would care how much you want to put into practice. That seems to make some form of sense. Now, Satan is not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere at, at, at you know at the same time causing everyone problems. But I will say that. There's enough in us and in any spiritual forces outside of us that would fight application, right? Another reason application is hard work. We naturally resist change. We naturally just resist change. We don't want to change. We become content with where we become comfortable and content with where we are. You become a Christian and at first there's a lot of changing taking place, right? 
you're trying to figure out, especially if you become a Christian at an older age, you're trying to figure out this new Christian lingo. You're trying to figure out what you can do, what you're not supposed to do. And you got everyone telling you, oh, sh- you can't do that. You can't go there. You can't. Okay. You get all the, okay. You got your 927,000 rules that everybody in the church wants to give you. And what, but after a while, once you kind of figure it all out, in many cases, you just kind of become comfortable and that's where you're comfortable to be. And because we don't naturally want to change. We don't like to change. We don't like to change. So the, all of those reasons make it hard work, right? Um, yeah, our, I think our, I think our, our nature, uh, someone listening says our nature resists application hard. Absolutely. I, I think our nature just fights it. And, and, and you can just remove, you can, you can just remove script, scripture from the discussion. Any kind of change, any kind of change. We fight it. We become comfortable with ourselves. We become comfortable with our way of thinking, our way of feeling, our way of acting. And that's why some people will spend, you know, lots of money going to counseling to, so that they can make some positive changes in their life. They need some, some people will hire a life coach to try to help them make, you know, positive changes in their life because everyone's at almost, they need help to try to get those changes to occur because we become comfortable with the status quo. And God's word, if we're going to apply it, we've got a natural resistance to it. It, it, Way before we even get to a possible spiritual warfare component of the situation. Right? So, here we go. Um, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skip a little bit here. There's a, there's a lot here we could look at. Um, yes, that's very important. Uh, Twyla just said, uh, especially biblical application because it goes against our sinful nature. Absolutely. Anything we read in the Bible goes against what our sinful nature wants. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It, yeah, I mean, clearly we're going to fight application all day long. We're going to fight it. And I think, in, and we, are, we almost train ourselves as Christians we don't sit there and say, oh, I don't want to change. We're never going to say that because we've been in church too long, so we know the right words to say. Oh, I want to change. Oh, I want to be better. Oh, I want to grow spiritual. We know all the right words to say. I mean, we we can all pass the, the test, but the reality is so we have to find another way around it. So we just we just kind of just forget the application part. We just kind of overlook the application part. We just kind of gloss over the application part. But hey, I still went to church. Hey, I still listened to a sermon. Hey, I, I read my Bible. Hey, I memorized the scripture. Now, all of those things are good. But again, if it's missing application and it can become dangerous because it, and all of the things we've already talked about. All right, so here we go. We're, we're going to get right down to to the meat of this. There's, there's, a, there's so much more. I, I've taught this method of Bible study so many different times. I change it every single time. I was going to add some things here that I think I've, I've added before and I've taken away before, but we're going to get right down to this. All right. So the word of God is what washes us. Clearly, in many of our lives, sometimes we may gain knowledge, but we don't really 
experience the washing, the cleansing, the transformation. And if we're going to be transformed by it, then we, we need a method to help us do something with it. So here's what you do. Whatever passage of scripture, I don't care if it's the, you, you're listening to Christian radio and they give you the verse of the day. I don't care if it's a memory verse. I don't care if it's a passage of scripture you're using for our Bible study exercise. I don't care if it's a passage of scripture you hear in a sermon. Whatever passage of scripture you, you find yourself looking at, one of the things you need to do is you need to read that scripture. And we'll just always start with this. And, and, and I know Twyla already knows the answer. Whatever passage of scripture you choose, whichever pas- passage of scripture you've come across that particular moment in, uh, of your day, the f- first thing you need to do is stop everything you're doing and read that passage of, of scripture at a minimum of five times. Five times just looking at it and looking at it and reading it and reading it and reading it. Now, if it's only a few verses or if it's only the verse of the day, you will need to read the context before and after five times as well because you want to really know exactly what's going on in the passage of Scripture. Now, application method is not so much about interpretation right now, but you at least want to have a basic idea of what's going on so that you don't come up with some weird idea, all right? So read it five times, all right? If it's, if it's two or three verses, you, you may need to add three or four verses before or three or four verses after. If it's one verse, yeah, oh yeah, and, 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 and if it's one verse, you'll need to read far more before and after. But you read it five times, and one of those times, read it out loud. And everyone thinks, I'm, I know 99% of the people skip that. The reason you read it out loud, it's so bizarre. You can read a passage like, 50 times just to yourself. And the one time you read it out loud, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what was I thinking? And all of a sudden you're like, you hear it. It's like you hear it completely different. Like you're reading and thinking, but when you stop to read it out loud, all of a sudden you may hear it in a way like, what? I, I was going in the wrong direction with that. So definitely one time out loud. Out loud. But a minimum of five times. You've got to read it over and over and over and over. Look, you, you can't do the devotional method if you're not going to spend serious time reading it, reading it, and reading it. But after you've read it, after you've read it five times, one of those times out loud, to just spend, I don't know, some time just thinking about it. Just think about the passage. Just sit there and just meditate on it, right? You can, you can just, you know, some basic things. So what is this verse saying? Okay, who is this to? Just, just, just try to run some basic questions. I'm not even going to have you write anything down at this point. Just sit there and meditate on it. And it's amazing how, how, how some people have trouble doing that, right? Now, I know sometimes because you've got distractions around you, but even if you have distractions around you, go take care of what you're doing, but keep thinking about what you've read. Just keep thinking. Spend 30 minutes thinking about it, just meditating on it. Who, what, where, when, how? Okay, wh- what do I do with this? Now, after you've spent that time reading and thinking and meditating, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to write out the following acrostic, right? So you just grab a piece of paper and you're going to write one letter at a time, right? And you're going to write each letter, not going across each letter down because each letter is going to represent a word. Each letter is going to represent a word. So you're going to start at the top of the page. You're going to write down the following letters, S, P, A, C-E, S-P-A-C-E. Don't write it going across, write the letters going down. S at the top, P underneath that, A underneath that, C underneath that, E underneath that. Because each one of those letters is going to represent a word or a phrase, all right? 
So S P A C E. You can take a you can you can leave a little space, then drop down. You're going to do the same thing with the next letters. P E T S. So the first is S P A C E, space. You're not writing it across, you're writing it down each one letter on each line. Okay, because each one of those letters is going to represent a word. This is an acrostic. Pets, P-E-T-S. Again, writing each letter down. P first, E underneath that, T underneath that, S underneath that. Space, pets. Space, pets. Space, pets needs to become so ingrained in your brain that you will never forget it. Space pets must be burned into your brain so that no matter when, it, it doesn't matter what the passage of scripture is, you read that passage of scripture, you think about its context, historical context, what it's saying, and at some point, all of a sudden, S-P-A-C-E-P-E-T-S, space pets start, starts, you, you can just run space pets on any passage of scripture, all right? Here we go. The first, space, that first letter, S, Write down, sins to confess. Sins to confess. As you read the passage of scripture, do you see a sin that you need to confess? A sin that you need to acknowledge? Does the text give you something you're like, well, that condemns me. Let's go back to the Ephesians 5 passage. Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Stop right there. That's a great theory. That's a great principle. That's a great concept. When you read that, is that a sin you need to confess? Your lack of submission. I'm not going to read any further because then it talks about what the husband is supposed to do and we don't want to go there right now, okay? So, you know, this is just for the women because they have all the problems and the men, we've got it all, we've, we've got it all figured out. But, but you get the idea. Sins to confess. P. We have sins. P. Promise. Now, in some books, when they talk about this method, they will say promise to claim. No. Just promises. Are there any promises given in the text? Now, if it's a sin to confess, now just please note this, you're going to identify what that sin is. Now, you're identifying that sin so that you can deal with it, so that you can confess it to God, so that you can think about, you know, all the issues with it. It's You, you want to think about this, not just, oh, I identified it, congratulate, look at me, I, I found 12 sins I need to confess today. Well, did you confess them? Did you talk to God about them? All right, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on a, a deeper application in a minute, but just you want to identify the sins. Next. Does the passage contain any promises? Now, if it contains promises, you have to identify the kind of promises. There are three. There are conditional promises. Hey, here's the promise, but here's the condition one must meet in order to receive the promise. Now, I don't have, I, I'm not going to be able to look up every, I'm not going to be able to give you a passage as an example for every one of these, but I'm just, some of these, if I just know one at the top of my head, I'll just at least try to go to those. If you go to Psalm chapter one, you'll see what I'm referring to here. Psalm chapter one, verse one, blessed is the man. There's a promise of being blessed, of blessing. That 
walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditate on it day and night. All right, you have a promise of blessing, but it's conditional. It's a conditional promise. All right, so there's, there's a, so you identify it as there's a promise in this passage, and it's conditional. Here are the conditions, here's, here's what's promised, here are the conditions that must be met. Is it an unconditional promise? There's a, there's a promise there that's just unconditional. For God so loved the world, right? Well, there's the promise of God's love, but there's no condition placed upon it. For God so loved the world. He loves the world and so, he loves the whole world in some way he loves the world, right? Now we can get into a, discussion, a general love versus say an electing love. We can get into all of those distinctions, but we won't go there right now. Just do you see a promise that seems to be unconditional? Here's the promise. It's, it's, well, there just seems to be no condition or that anyone has to meet. Most of the time, they're going to be conditional. But find the, identify the promise, identify whether it's conditional or unconditional. And then there's a third kind of promise in the Bible. Not applicable, all right? It's not applicable. It's not for you, all right? It's not for you. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we find verses in, say, I don't know, Jeremiah about God knowing the plans that he has for you, right? To do wonderful things for you. Well, guess what? Those promises have nothing to do with you because those promises were given to people coming out of Babylonian captivity. So unless you were a Jew in Babylonian captivity, those promises have nothing to do with you. They're not applicable. They're not applicable. They're not to be applied to you. All right? So identify, is, is there a promise? Is it conditional? Is it unconditional? Is it applicable? Is it one that can be applied to you? And if you say, well, it's not, it's not applicable to me. I, I can't apply this to me. All right, who is it applicable to? Okay, well, that's, that's to Judah coming out of Babylonian captivity. That's to Abram and Sarai about having a, a baby. That's not to me. You got, you got to identify that. that right there is just going to fix so many. I mean, if everyone would just do space pets, <laughs> if everyone would just do space pets, we could stop a lot of the nonsense of people walking around claiming promises in the Bible. That's not for them. All right, so sins to confess, promises, conditional, unconditional, not applicable, ap- applicable, however you want to say it. All right. That's S, that's P. Next, A, attitudes to change. Does the text give me an attitude that I need to change? Specifically, it's focused on attitudes. Is it, is it a something, does it describe an attitude or condemn an attitude that you have? Is there an attitude you need to change? You need to identify what that attitude is and how you need to change it. A lot of Christians just have bad attitudes. They really do. Just really bad attitudes. I think the Bible speaks to attitudes a lot. Right? Sins to confess. Promises. Attitudes to change. That's S-P-A-C. Commands to obey. Does the text... uh, Someone just asked, 
I wonder if application isn't most difficult for teachers and preachers because you do so much Bible study for the purpose of preparing a lesson. It gets to where all of your Bible reading is done with that mindset instead of for correction. Oh, absolutely, 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 absolutely. I can't speak for all, but I can speak for me. It's easy because you're like, okay, got to prepare the sermon, 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 got to prepare the sermon. Get that ready, get that ready, get that ready, get that ready. And sometimes... You, you, you're working out the out and, and a lot of times, even when you're thinking of how you're going to apply it, a lot of times you have the congregation in mind. Yeah. You're like, okay, how, how, how can I apply this to my church? What do they need? And sometimes it's, you've got to be thinking about what do I need? Yeah. It, it, it is definitely a, a, a possible uh, problem. It is definitely a possible problem. I'm going to open up the, uh, Spreaker app really quick because we've got enough comments that now I can't see anymore. So I'm going to go right here. I will, if I, if I miss, if you post something and I don't see it immediately, I will check here because I've got to keep going back to the other screen on my iPad for my notes. All right. So sins to confess. That's the S. P, promise to claim. A, attitude to change. C, commands to obey. E, examples. Don't put examples to follow. When I first learned these methods, I was taught sins to confess, promises to claim. And then I learned I can't claim all promises, so I don't need to call these promises to claim. I need to identify the promise. Conditional, unconditional, not applicable, not, you know, that, I, that concept. Attitudes to change, and then commands to obey, and then examples. Because in the Bible, you have examples to follow, and you have examples to avoid. Is there an example in the passage of scripture? You're like, man, okay, see what they, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. And then you, you look, but you look at how it applies to you. You may see yourself in the bad example. You may see yourself in the good example. You may see in the good example, something you strive to do. And you may see something in the bad example, something that you're guilty of. You just deal with, what is, what is the example in the passage? Follow, avoid, what is it? Right? There's space, S. Sins to confess, P, promises to claim, A, attitudes to change, C, commands to obey, E, examples to follow. All right, there's space. And then pets, P, prayer. Is there anything I need to pray back to God? All right. Prayer, just anything you need to pray about. Is is there something here that you need to pray? Now, something that should lead you to, maybe what you see in the passage is, man, I need to pray about my sins or I need to pray about my attitude or I need to pray about this example. What, what, what are you going to take to prayer as a result of what you read? Reading should lead to prayer or study should lead to prayer. Application should lead to prayer. What, what do you need to talk to God about in regards to the text that you have looked at and you've meditated on? Sometimes it's, it's I think it's very beneficial to write your prayer out. Puritans did that. Write your prayer out. All right? So S, sins to confess. P, promise, promises. A, attitudes to change or just attitudes, you know, what, what, what do you learn about attitudes in it? C, commands to obey, ex- uh, examples. Then P for prayer. What is there to pray about here? E, error to avoid. 
Does the text give you an error that you need to stay away from, an error that you need to identify, that you need to get away from, you need to avoid at all costs? Is there an error here that you need to avoid? That you may need just to be a, beware of it. Is there an error in, in the text is referring to that you need to get away from? Next, so we have P for prayer, E for error to avoid T, truth to believe. Does the text offer up some kind of doctrinal truth, a truth that you must embrace and believe? And just so that you know, sometimes what, something in the text may apply, may fall into a number of these categories. It may be a sin to confess, but you also may learn that it's a truth to believe. The, and the Ephesians 5 passage tells me that I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Well, guess what? That may be a sin I need to confess, but it also needs a truth that I must believe because it gives me a truth about marriage and my responsibility in it. So sometimes it can, it, it can have multiple applications here. Sins to confess, promise, promise, attitudes to change, commands to obey, examples, P, prayer, something to pray about, E, error to avoid, T, truth to believe, and then S, something to praise God for, or to be thankful. Something to praise and thank God for, or praise or thank God for. Typically, we draw a distinction between prayers and th- prayer and uh, praise and thanksgiving. I should say something to praise God for or thank God for. Typically, the distinction we make between praise and thanksgiving, and I'm not saying this always works, but it's at least something to put in your mind to think about it. Praise is we're praising God for who He is. Thankfulness or thanksgiving is we're thanking God for what He has done. I praise God for his attributes. I thank God for maybe what those attributes did in action, right? So I think sometimes we draw that distinction. I'm not saying you have to, you know, it's a dogmatic rule, but I just think it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm gonna praise God for who he is and I'm gonna thank him for what he has done. All right? Now, once you've got all of those things identified, You've got it all identified, right? Now, this is where the work really begins. Now you need to grab a piece of paper and you need to write out a good application. And the key is now based off everything I've seen in this text, sins, things to pray, truths, error, to praise God for. Now that I've seen everything, what am I going to do in a concrete way to get these principles from my notebook and from the pages of scripture into my life? How are you going to translate these principles into action? Here you go. Here's what you need to, you've got to write out an application and you have to actually write out an application. This is usually where people like, I'm done. I'm not going to write out an application. And this is where a lot of people really struggle. They're really good at the space pets. They can become experts in the space pets. Oh, I can, oh, there's a sin. Oh, there's a promise. There's an example. There's a truth. Boom, 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 boom. And they're like, they, they can become almost like, you know, robotic and how good they can become. But to take the time to now go sit and write out an application. Oh, now, now that's, that's no fun. But your application, when you start writing out your application, it should be this. Number one, your application should be personal. When you write it, you should write it in the first person singular. Use the personal pronouns, I, me, my, and mine throughout. 
Everything you write down, you're writing, I need to do this. Me, you're talking about you, my, mine. And you're, you're writing it down because it's directed at you. So many times we take scripture, we want to apply it to everyone else. You, 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 you've got to look to yourself. So what are you going to do in regards to everything you found in your space pets? What are you going to do about it? Right? So you start writing this out. So it's got to be personal. Next, it's got to be practical. It has to be something you can actually do. You plan a definite course of action that you intend to take. You design a personal project that will encourage you to be a doer of the word. Make your application as specific as possible. Generalities can make you feel helpless and produce little action. You've got to write a practical plan of action. What are you going to do in regards to what you have found? It's got to be something that's practical. You can't say, well, man, the, uh, it talks about, you know, meditating on God's word day and night and that God's word is our food. Well, you know what? I'm going to read the entire Bible today. Okay, well, that's, that's probably not practical. All right? That's, right? That's, you, you probably need a, a better practical plan than that. Okay, a better plan than that. All right? So it's got to be practical. And what my example I just gave goes with the next one as well. It's got to be possible. It's got to be practical. It's got to be possible. Something that you know you can actually accomplish. All right? Otherwise, you're going to get discouraged. You can't say, well, you know, the Bible talks about having compassion on those who need. I'm going to, I'm going to solve homelessness. What do you, yeah, it's not possible, right? So what can you do in a po- practical, possible way? to show compassion for those in need. What is something you can do that's practical and possible? It's got to be specific. It can't just be, typically when people write them out, they're so vague that you're like, so I, sometimes I, I want to email someone back and go, so exactly what are you going to do? Because I don't really see anything here that you're actually going to do. You did, once again, you did a great job at identifying everything, but what's your actual plan of action? And then it must be provable. Whatever your action is, it should be so specific that it's easy to prove I did this or I didn't do this. And, and this is the part you may want to share with someone else. Hey, today I, was, I heard this passage of scripture. I spent some time meditating on it. Here's my application. And uh, I, I want you to check up and make sure that I did what I said I was going to do. It's provable. Or you can check back on yourself to know. All right. And I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. So let's go through them one more time. I keep skipping all kinds of things here in my notes, but that's okay. All right. Space pets. The, uh, the acrostic. Sins to confess. Promise. Attitudes to change. Commands to obey. Example to, f- example not to follow, just an example. Um, prayer, something to pray about, error to avoid, truth to believe, and something to praise or thank God for. After you've identified that in whatever text you're looking at, whatever text you're looking at, um, then you need to write out an actual application where you're really identifying what you're going to do. Just make sure it's personal, it's practical, it's possible, and it's provable. Now, this is very important. 
and I, I, I and, and times past, I did not emphasize this enough, but I'm gonna I'm gonna end this because I think this is very important. Over and over and over, when you look at the Bible and you run space pads, you're gonna find scriptures that man, I got this command to uh, to obey, I got this attitude to change, I got I got this sin to confess, and you're gonna at times be overwhelmed because you're going to constantly see how short you fall to God's word. You're gonna see yourself as a failure, and you're gonna at times feel overwhelmed, you're gonna feel condemned. Now, in some ways, that's good because it should keep you spiritually humble, so you're not running around pointing your finger at everyone else, looking down at all of them, saying you're all a bunch of losers. Losers because you've already spent some time with the greatest loser, which is probably you, right? So, so it will keep you humble. But sometimes it can become so overwhelming that you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. Just remember that when you look to all of these things, yes, you want to try to apply them. Yes, you want that change in your life. But just remember, your only hope is in the fact that Christ did what you could not do. He kept all... He. He did not commit any of the sins you need to confess. He did not commit any of those sins. Okay, he is the, he is the ultimate source of all the promises God has given us. They're found in him. He, his attitude was perfect where our attitudes are not perfect. He obeyed all the commands where I disobeyed all the commands. He was the perfect example that I will always fall short of. Uh, he avoided all the error. He is the truth, which I am to, to believe. Make sure that in the application, you do remind yourself at the end of every time of application that my only hope is found in Christ. My only hope is found in Christ. That doesn't excuse your application, but it makes sure you keep your application very grace-based, not works-based based. What do I mean by that? You want to be motivated by God's grace. And you want to realize that no matter how much you may fall short of the things you find in the text, that you can run to Christ and there you are forgiven, there you are holy, there you are pure. Or you'll just at a point, it'll just feel like you're trying to do a, you know, you're just trying to do self-improvement on yourself with, uh, um, with, with, uh, Okay, so someone just said, so very helpful, I've never heard this. Okay, well, great, great. Uh, this, I'm glad, I'm glad this was helpful. Um, but I just want to make sure that you keep it grace-based because early in my Christian life, it was very legalistic, very works-based. It was almost like, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do them. I'm going to do them. And then at some point you realize how you fall short and then you either start questioning your salvation or start driving yourself insane. Now, I'm not saying you take that grace and turn it into an excuse for sin. I'm just saying that you want to apply these things, write out that application, make it, you know, provable, possible, all of those things, practical, all of those things. But just remind yourself at the very end, just to remember your only hope is in Christ. Your only hope is in Christ. What, what these passages of scripture may call you to do, Christ already did them for you. It doesn't excuse anything, but it gives you the hope and hopefully the proper motivation. You want to be motivated to do these things because of God's grace, not because of some legalistic rule, not because of force, but because of grace. Grace should be the motivating factor. Grace should move us forward. Some people are afraid of grace because they think it will lead people to a sinful apathetic, complacent lifestyle. But I've seen plenty of people who are in churches that are very more, very legalistic. They have the same spiritual issues, the same problems, 
and their lives because all the legalism in the world can't change the heart. A grace-based relationship with God that does care enough about God's word that you want to apply it to your life using this very simple method. Now, remember, this method is not about interpretation very, very much. There is some, a little bit of interpretation going on because you're interpreting that's a sin. You're interpreting that it's a promise, whether it's applicable, you know, um, uh, conditional, non, unconditional. You, you, you are identifying something. So there, there's a little bit of help in those observations towards an interpretation, but re- typically the devotional method is used at the end of other methods. Say, say you learn the chapter summary method, the last step is application. Even uh, for the Bible study exercise this week, I have everyone basically doing kind of a, a topical study method. I'm kind of a modified topical study. Well, guess what the last step of that technically is? Basically, you're going to run space pets. That's basically what you're going to do. You're going to run space pets on everything you learn in regards to loyalty. Okay, and, and and when I say space pets, in other words, even if you don't have the S-P-A-C-E, even if you don't necessarily have those, well, you're looking at a lot of verses, so you're still running space pets on all the verses you're looking up, but at the end, you're still going to write out an application that's practical, personal, uh, p- possible, provable. You're going to still write out an application. What are You've spent however many hours on the subject of loyalty. What are you going to do about it? Is loyalty going to show up in your life? If loyalty doesn't show up in your life, well, then we talked about forgiveness. We talked about bitterness. What did you do with it? What did, what were steps you took to put something into actual practice? Or did you just learn about bitterness and forgiveness? You now know the story of Joseph better, all right? All right, so I, I hope, I hope that everyone will, will, Consider this and think about it because it, it's it's very very important and 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 yes, as one person said they've, they've been hearing this in this church since they were nine. We've we've all been hearing it in this church since not only since you were nine for years and years and years and years. We've been I've been teaching it and 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 teaching it. But guess what? We all do. We all stop using it. No, I, I have the space pets pretty much so ingrained in my brain that I still have a tendency. That whenever, it'll be like, I'll be listening to Christian radio and they'll say, the verse of the day is, and immediately I'm like, okay, there's an S, there's a P, there's an A, there's a C, there's an E. Okay, there's a P, there's an E, there's a T. Like I start, I start immediately running it in my, in my brain. I can remember uh, multiple times when I was in the military, when we did what's called a phase one uh, military exercise. That, that was the exercise that you learn how to get to war. It's not actually participating in wartime actions. And a lot of that time, doing a phase one exercise, you just do a lot of sitting around. In many cases, I worked what's called the processing line, processing people so that they could now be ready, have everything they need, get their briefing to the location they're being deployed to. And and, and to do that, you would, in many cases, we'd be there like from six o'clock at night to six in the morning, just working in the processing line. And so different people would be recalled for the exercise. They'd have to pack up their bags. They would come here. We'd give them the briefing. You're going to this country. Here are the medical issues in this country that you need to avoid, blah, 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 whatever the case may be. A lot of times you'd just be sitting there on the processing line and, and, and the phase one exercise may go along on for a week. So you may be at a night where nobody comes through to be processed, nobody. So you're just sitting there for 12 hours. I'd have a Bible and a notebook and I would just have a list of passages of scripture and I'd just sit there and be running space pets, space pets, space pets, space pets. 
and they're trying to write out an application, write an application. Now, in some cases, I had it all written down and never did anything about it. Yay! I did 52 space pets this evening. Great. I'm not, and tomorrow I'm not going to do one thing about any of them. In some cases, I sit there and do chapter summary method, chapter summary method, and then do the space pets at the end. But uh, so sometimes I just, because I got so good at doing them and proficient at doing them that I could do them at any time. But again, you, you, it's, it's taking the time to really get something so, so that you can be washed. So something can actually occur. Something can actually change. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. All right. So. All right. I'm thinking. I, there's something I think I'm, I don't think I'm messing anything up. There was some word, there was one word. See, not applicable, not applicable. Okay. Pl- applicable, applicable. I don't know why I'm saying it two different ways. Now I'm thinking, I think I said it like three different ways. Whatever the correct way is, it's not to be applied to you because the promise has no application for you. Okay. Whatever the correct way to say it. Now I'm sitting here thinking, uh, so when I go back and listen to it, I'm going to be like, why did I say it like 50 different ways? All right. Don't, I don't have any idea why, but uh, there you have it. All right. I hope that was beneficial. hope that was helpful. It's very simple. I always feel like when I'm, oh, I can give you, let's do this. I can do this. Now, actually, I think it could possibly work. Let me look here. Um, the Bible study exercise this week is John 13, verses 18 through 38. You, you do just do a, a little bit of work using space pets on it. It's not the perfect section to do it, but you you can you can you can get some ideas here, right? Uh, right. I, I speak not of you. I speak not of you all. Verse eighteen, John thirteen eighteen. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Okay. Now immediately. I see an example not to follow. Whoever's going to rise up his hill against him, who is he referring to, right? So we're going to learn something here. So there's going to be some examples. And what what is this person going to do? He betrays him. How does he betray him? He sells him out, okay? How, all right, is there an attitude there? Is there a sin I need to confess? How have I sold Jesus out? So I can start running some of these here. So just instead of giving you more scriptures to look at this week, just... As you look at John 13, uh, 18 through 28, yeah, or 38, John uh, 13, 18 through 38, as you look at it, just think of space pets and just think about an application. At the end of this week, what are you going to do with John 13, 18 to 20, uh, 38, 18 to 38, John 13, 18 to 38? What what are you going to do with it? Like, what, how are you going to put it into practice? You can even go back to John 13, 1 through 17, which we studied last week. What did what was your application for John 13, 1 through 17? What did you do? What did you do? You, you, may, you may now know the two Greek words for wash, right? You may know the, the Greek words there. Great. You, you may see that we found that interesting that this Greek word is used and all of a sudden it's this a different Greek word. That's all great. It's wonderful that we know all of that. But what did we do in regards to it? Now, in one way, the reason I'm teaching this method 
is because of John 13, 1 through 17. Because he talks about being washed. We need a daily washing, right? We, if we've been washed in salvation, but we need the daily washing from the contamination that we find in our hands and our feet. That comes from the application of God's word. So that's one of the reasons I'm giving you this method. There you go. All right. For whatever was good in this, I hope it was really good. For whatever was bad in it, I apologize. But I hope it was beneficial to to everyone in some way, shape, or form. And uh, there you go. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, uh, Twyla. She says, I didn't hear you say it weird or anything. I understood you. Okay. Well, I, it was understandable. I just don't know why I was saying applicable or uh, applicable. Applicable? Uh, applicable. I don't know why I was doing that. But uh, okay. And then I was having a major issue at the beginning with statement of faith. Um, the, what, what, what's, this is one of those days where I'm having some of the neurological issues for my seizures. I, I woke up today saying I'm probably going to have a seizure today. So um, it's, it's probably coming. So um when when that happens, then I always feel like, oh, I don't know what I just, what did I just say? I hope I said everything right. So there you go. No excuse, but just that's what happens. All right. And even when I'm not having the neurological issues, I still have plenty of problems saying things the correct way. So it's not, it's not just that. All right. There you go. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you need any help, uh, please ask. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. If you're in the Discord channel, ask. Uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to help. Twyla definitely knows the method of Bible study. Uh, she's heard it. Will has heard this. Uh, I don't know how many times Will's heard it as well. He's heard it multiple times. So we have multiple, two people in the uh, Discord channel who can help anybody. If you If you want to put it into practice, if you want to try it out, and if you're just confused, let us know. A lot of people at first get all worried. Like, am I doing this right? Just 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 jump in and do the best you can and the more this is one of the things the more you do it the easier it becomes all right and then and then after a while it just becomes second nature and you're like space pets space pets space pets space pets space pets and you just you do so i think if i remember twyla i i think twyla knows this i think i'm i'm almost positive that in the notebooks we used to hand out to the little kids called we put fbi on the cover for faithful Bible investigators to try to get kids to actually take notes in church instead of just, I don't know what they're doing. Right in, I think in the front cover, I think we had space pets written out right in the front cover of the notebook, if I remember correctly, um, so that the kids would learn space pets early, 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 early on um, because uh, we wanted them to learn how to apply the scriptures uh, to themselves. So that's something we, we tried to do, right? So, because we, what, one of the things I've always wanted to do is I, I've tried to make sure that young people know that, hey, you're, maybe, we don't do the whole youth group thing where you're, you know, sitting around, uh, sitting around having pizza and playing games. You're at church and the church service right there with the adults, it's for you. We don't, you don't need a special service for the teenager. It's right, you're right here. The preaching of God's word is for, for teenagers, for young people, for adults. You just need to open up a Bible and a notebook and participate. So that's kind of always been the mentality. So there you have it. And Space Pets has been a big part of it. All right, I'll start right there. Everyone have a great night. God bless.